0: Our call to worship this morning again comes from the ninth Psalm and it says, I will thank the Lord with all my heart. I will declare all your wondrous works. I will rejoice and boast about you. I will sing about your name most high. When enemies retreat, they stumble and perish before you for you have upheld my just cause. You are seated on your throne as a righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have erased their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to eternal ruin. You have uprooted the cities and the very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for judgment and he judges the world with righteousness. He executes judgment on the nations with fairness. The Lord is a refuge for the persecuted, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, because you have not abandoned those who seek you, Lord. Circumstances of him writing this, he was appealing to the Lord for justice, he was appealing to the Lord for relief, and his conviction should be ours. That those who seek the Lord will never be abandoned, that those who trust in the Lord will never be disappointed. We have many reasons to gather for worship at this time, but let these reasons be amongst the highest. Now, as we continue in this time, let's go to our Lord in prayer, after which we'll pray the, apostles, uh, pray the Lord's Prayer and confess the Apostles' Creed. Let's go to him now. Our God and our Father, what a blessing it is to be here that you have given us this time. It shows so much about who you are and who we are. It shows who we are in the fact that you have created us to be worshipful, all humans, in fact, In your image, and Father, you have given us this time to worship you. And you brought us here to do it. We need this time. And Father, this shows us so much about you and that you love us enough to provide for us in such wondrous ways. You have worked all things. And it's it's not even a possibility for us to grasp it. But you have worked all things in our lives to bring us to this point right now. So please guide us. Let this time be be something that, that, that is glorious, that honors your name because you alone are worthy of honor. Please guide us now by your spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name and we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, really think about these words as you say them. Christian, what do you believe? and sits at the right hand of god the father almighty from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead i believe in the holy spirit the holy christian church the communion of saints the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting amen amen indeed now let's continue in our worship by standing And taking our hymnals, and of course the words are on the screen, as we sing number 434, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. Hymn 434. You may be seated in children. Come on and join me down front. We've got enough room today. Well, good morning, everybody. That was such a nice good morning. It's so good to see all of you today. I haven't seen any of you since Vacation Bible School. Do you realize that? That was a fun week. I hope it was fun for you. i got to say, you guys wore me out, especially you, Gabe, man. You wore me out in recreation time. It was a long week, but it was a very good week. And we played some fun games. Remember, we played games with ropes, right? Come on down, Sully. There's room right down here, buddy. Here you go. You were there, too. You remember some of those games that we played. We we played games with ropes. We played games with buckets and water. and, And we played games about armor and so forth. And it was a really good time. And I hope that you remember lots of things about Vacation Bible School. But in case you don't, or in case you didn't get to be with us for all the nights, I wanted to remind you about something very important that we learned in Vacation Bible School. In Vacation Bible School, who remembers what the theme was, what it was called? Keepers of the Kingdom. kingdom. That's very good. And the first night, we talked about the two different kingdoms that are in the world. The Kingdom of God, which is good and full of light. And the Kingdom of Satan, or the Devil, which is bad and full of darkness. And throughout the week, you talked all about the different pieces of the armor that God gives us to take our stand against the devil. And that's what I want to remind you of this morning. Does anybody know what the word temptation means? You know what temptation means? You ever heard somebody talk about being tempted? Temptation is a word that describes those times when we want to do the wrong thing instead of doing the right thing. When we know what we should do, But we don't want to do it, right? And when we're tempted, that can be because of our own sinfulness that tempts us. But sometimes the devil or one of his demons tries to get us to do the wrong thing. But God makes a wonderful promise to us in James chapter 4, and it's this. It says this. It says, be subject, therefore, unto God. Or in other words, obey God. And then he says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Guys, that's such a wonderful promise that God makes to us there. He tells us that in those times when we know the right thing to do, but we want to do the wrong thing instead, and in those times when the devil is tempting us to do the wrong thing, we should instead remember that we belong to God. And in remembering God, we're to resist the devil. Stand up to him, tell him to leave you alone, and God promises that he will. Now, I want you all to remember that, because sometimes it's easy to forget that God is with us. And it's easy to forget to do the right thing. But with God's help and by trusting in Jesus, we can follow him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for these children. I thank you for everybody here because this message is for us as well as it is for them. Help us to remember that by your strength and grace, you've given us the power to stand up to the devil. That when we're tempted to do the wrong thing, we would instead turn to you, remembering that we belong to you. So please, work in these children's heart to that end. Work in my heart, all of our hearts, that we would remember these things. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all can go. And now, as they are being dismissed, let's take this time to go to the Lord in silent prayer. And then I'll lead us in the pastoral prayer. Let's go to him now. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, we praise you for that which we have heard already from your word, that you are the righteous God who judges, that we are to be subject to you, that you are a refuge, and also those things that we have lifted up, that you are indeed glorious. And you're responsible for every good thing that we have. You're responsible for the breath that we draw. You're responsible for the strength that we hold. And you have given to us. Again and again. Not just in small measures. But instead your blessings. Flow freely. Flooding over. Our, as the psalmist says. Our cup runneth over. And all because you love us. All for the sake of your son and our savior. Jesus Christ. Give us grateful hearts. Father. In pondering these things. and considering who you are. And who we are, we pray that we would see your glory, that we would behold your majesty, that we would be quick to boast of who you are, and in the same measure, that we would be quick to turn to you in light of who we are, that for those of us who know you, we are redeemed, but we still battle with the old one that dwells inside us. The one that would lead us to do not what you want us to do, but what we want to do. The old one that would lead us to consider our priorities as (laughs) immeasurably more important than what you would have us do. And though when we take these paths, we face difficulty and we hurt others, we forget. So work in our hearts and continue to draw to our mind who you are what you have done in our lives, what you have promised you will yet do, and bring to mind the high price that was paid to bring us to you, that it took the blood of of your Son to save us from our sins and let us live in light of these things. As we face struggles in this life, again and again, draw us back to yourself, whether it be struggles of the physical variety, and we have folks that are struggling in our midst, Father, that, that want to be here, but they can't be here. Some are facing long-term medical problems, some short-term, and you know all of these situations, so we pray that you would intervene and that you would bring healing and grace and mercy. Still others struggle emotionally, spiritually. We face battles, as as we've read from your word, the the devil, the evil one, seeks to devour us. He's, He's roaming to and fro and roaring and Father, let us never be so prideful that we believe our strength comes from us, but instead, by the power of your Holy Spirit, let us stand. Let us stand in Christ Jesus. I don't know what everyone needs here, Father. and In fact, oftentimes, I don't know what I need, but I praise you that you are our loving Father, and you know, and you give and give and give. Let us give back to you, not in an attempt to repay you as if we ever could, not not in an attempt to, to cover our sins as if that were even possible. Uh, we have forgiveness in Christ alone. And instead, let us give back to you with a profound sense of gratitude, thanking you for, for what you've done. And let that be contagious, Father, whether it's here in our community or abroad. We, we've all been given the same task, those that have been called by you, and that is, to be your lights in the world. Let the world see your church. Let the world see that which it does not have, which it cannot receive by any means other than Jesus Christ. You have designed it so that we would point to your majesty. So let us be about your business as we do these things. Protect us and guide us, empower us to do your will, and we pray the same for those that are in much different circumstances, but have received the same calling. Let us all not grow weary in doing good, but let us seek your face. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. As we continue in this time of worship, please take your green Bible song books. I think this is probably my favorite Bible song as we sing number 188 together, Under His Wings. Please stand with me as we sing 188. god and our father as we have just lifted up this song we are reminded that we are under your wings and you protect us you provide for us in every way now as we come to this portion where we return to you from that bounty you've given to us i pray that you would bless the gift and i pray that you would bless the giver and that you would use these funds in accordance with your will and for your kingdom and i pray it in christ's name amen Thank you very much, choir. I hope that you pay attention to the lyrics in in the choir specials or anthems or or whatever terminology you want to use there because that was also Psalm 91, which is what we sang just a few moments ago in Under His Wings. And something occurred to me as the choir was was offering the anthem. And again, I I so much appreciate it. You know, the way that we treat God or the way that we have a tendency to treat God is that we love the refuge aspect of God, right? That we can run to God. And it's occurred to me, and and I better be careful here, I'm going to preach a different sermon altogether, but it's occurred to me that we have a tendency to treat God like when you're playing tag as a child. Remember you'd play tag and you'd have a a home base, right, it might be a tree or a chair or something like that, and then you'd run back to the chair and then you were safe and you couldn't be tagged, and it was, what was the rhyme, one, two, three, get off my granddad's mulberry tree or something, and then you'd have to run again. We like to treat God like that, you know, that he's our home base, and he is. And certainly we can seek refuge in him. That's what the psalm is all about. But don't miss what comes first. He that dwelleth in the secret place. Or he that dwelleth in the shadow of the Lord Almighty. You know, we're not to treat God as if he is a home base in terms of we run off and do our own thing. And then we run back real quick and hope that we don't get tagged. We're supposed to stay on the home base, right? We're supposed to dwell in the shadow of the Most High, dwelling in Him, trusting in Him, not only going to Him when we think that we need things. So I think that's a very fitting reminder, especially in light of where we are today. So thank you again, choir. This morning I wanna begin with a question, as I often do. What do you do when the world turns upside down? It's very fitting given the the choir anthem, given the, the, the hymns that we sung, even the call to worship, which was in Psalm chapter nine. What do you do when the world turns upside down, or at least seems to? You know, the older I get, the, more I, the better I become at distinguishing patterns in life. You can't see them, of course, when they're going on in the moment, but you can look back, and you can see periods of life that are full of relative ease and comfort, right? Not that life is perfect, but, but there wasn't something looming either. But then there are other times when something does loom. Some things take place like, for instance, the loss of a job, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a loved one, the loss of health even. You you may be able to look back on times when you were healthy and things were going just fine and then a medical event took place and it changed everything. It resulted in loss. Now maybe you picked up on that key word that I was using over and over again, loss. But the world doesn't only turn upside down when you lose something, no. Sometimes the world turns upside down when you add something, when you add a new complication to life, when when you add a new relationship, when you add a new job, when you add a new child, a new home, a new fill-in-the-blank, it doesn't matter. Life is in a constant state of flux, you see. And it doesn't matter if you add to it or take away from it, the end result is that you can feel like the world really has turned upside down or that everything is falling apart there's other ways to describe that sensation, but hopefully you get the point of what I'm getting at here. Back to the question, when those times come, what do you do? And I'm genuinely asking this question because the world around you, it does lots of things when stuff falls apart and when the world seems to turn upside down. You know, just a few popular ones, sometimes the world plays games. The blame game is a really popular one, right? Oh my, how it's easy to blame others when things fall apart, to become angry. Sometimes the world throws parties instead. They love the pity party, for instance. A pity party that results in gloom and despair. Sometimes the world thinks the answer is a materialistic thing, so it buys a new house or a new car, goes into debt even more. I'm guilty of that. And sometimes, just sometimes, when the world turns upside down, People seek out a new philosophy or a new cause. My goodness, the world can get so spiritual and it does so engaging in new causes and new ideas. And a lot of times the world is just swapping ideals, but never really finds any meaning or help for that matter. Did any of these sound familiar to you? You know, the world is always ready to offer you a a way to deal with discouragement, a way to deal with heartache. But if you've ever fallen for it, you know that what the world offers doesn't really help. And often enough, it's an attempt to just sell you something or use you. So back to the question, what do you do when the world turns upside down? Well, thankfully, God's word has the answer. And you guessed it. We find it in the Psalms. And this time, Psalm 4. So go ahead and turn to Psalm 4 with me as we continue in our summer series on the Psalms. Now, as you're turning there, I've mentioned this before, but remember that the Psalms is the songbook of ancient Israel. They didn't have a hymnal. They they only had the Psalms, and they sang them as a part of their worship. And Psalm 4, which is our focus today, was most definitely a song to be lifted up in the synagogue. We don't have the music for it, but we do have the lyrics. We've got the words, and what words they are. For you see, It's here that we find the answer to the question. What do you do when your world turns upside down? Let's pray first and then we'll read. Our God and our Father, please be with us now as we come to your word. We're reminded that this time is not about academics. It's not anecdotal. It's it's not just something to check off a list. This is a spiritual time and we need spiritual help. Please guide us now, whatever things might be chewing away at our minds and hearts that would take our focus away from you, please dispense with those things, Father, so that we would see the truth of your word, yes, but also what we are to do in light of it, not only because you command us, though that would be enough, but also because you love us, and your word shows us what's best for us, so please guide us now, and we pray it all in Christ's name. So Psalm four, beginning in verse one, hear now the word of the Lord. It says, answer me when I call God who vindicates me. You freed me from affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long exalted ones will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Reflect in your heart while on your bed and be silent. Offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us anything good? Let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they who have, or excuse me, than they have when their grain and new wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. Thus ends the fourth Psalm. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible Word. Amen and amen. Well, did you find it? Did you see it? Did you you find the answer to our ever so important question, what do you do when the world turns upside down? It's fascinating how Psalm four is written. The psalmist, which is David here, yes, that David, he wrote this psalm, he begins by addressing God, and he's going to shift to addressing people, but he begins by addressing God in verse 1. We just read it, but I'll read it again. But in beginning, David starts with, answer me when I call God who vindicates me. You freed me from affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Stop right there. We need to be careful here that we don't read this as though David is commanding God in any way. Much to the contrary, that's not what he's doing. He, much to the contrary, he's praying. But in his prayer, he is praising God and he's reminding God that God had previously freed him from affliction. Now, before I mentioned that loss can be the source of, of discord and, and feelings as though the world has been turned upside down, <coughs> excuse me, I also mentioned that addition, things added to life, can result in this too. But the overall reason, if you had to pick a single word uh, or cause for why difficulty and hardship, com- hardship comes, it would be affliction, right? That's what David's really talking about here, affliction. And that's a good word. Affliction is a cause of pain or harm. And, and like loss and addition, affliction comes in so many different forms. And yet, instead of complaining about affliction, you notice that's not what David did. Instead of getting angry, right, playing the blame game that we talked about, instead of throwing himself a pity party like we talked about, David begins by recognizing the fact that God has freed him from affliction. You know, what's really going on here is that David knew that the Lord had worked and was working in his life. And David writes with that understanding that we've just lifted up in Psalm 91, that the Lord's not going to abandon him. That's where he started as he considered an upside down world. Where do you start? That's a question only you can answer. But David not only recognized that the Lord had worked and was working and wouldn't abandon him, David also says that God is the one who vindicates him. And that too is an important word, that, that God is the one who upholds his cause, that God is the one who defends him when wrongfully accused. And so in light of these things, David simply asked God to be gracious and to hear his prayer, remembering what God had done remembering god's goodness he asks god to hear him to free him from affliction and to vindicate him so y'all that the answer to the question what do you do when the world turns upside down there's no mystery here there's no grand build-up at all i don't know what you do but i'm going to tell you what you should do and forget about me this is god's word when the world turns upside down number one remember the lord Look back on what he has done for you and you'll see his faithfulness. But consider also his promises made to you in his word. Number two, ask the Lord to free you from affliction, to relieve you of that which you are facing. God's answer will not always be yes, but he will always come alongside you. But ask him for relief. And finally, ask the Lord to vindicate you. But vindication. That idea of taking up your cause, defending you. There's something built into that in the psalm here. Built into number three, asking for the Lord to vindicate you. It assumes something. And what it assumes is that you are innocent in the affliction that you're facing. Now, y'all, I'm not trying to be hard here. I'm really not. I'm not trying to to be insensitive or anything like that but the reality is this, you can't ask God to vindicate you, to take up your cause, to defend you, if you're in the wrong. And thus, we learn something from this. And it's that, y'all, sometimes the affliction we face is a result of our own poor decisions. Sometimes what we're going through, when the world seems like it's turning upside down, it, it is. But what we're facing is consequences. You know, it's got to be something that I'm so glad that that God is God and I'm not, because I can't imagine all the times the Lord has had to deal with me when I've treated something like a cross I have to bear, when in reality it's just the consequences of dumb decisions I made. Now, again, I'm not trying to be hard here. I'm not not trying to be uh, insensitive Certainly, this isn't all the time when we face consequences and when the world turns upside down. Take David's life, for instance, right? If you look at David's life, you will find times of great affliction that have nothing to do with anything that David did. Really, they don't. Take, for instance, David and Saul, right? David was out tending his father's flocks. Samuel was the one that showed up looking to anoint a new king. David didn't ask for it, but God chose him to be his man. And as a result, David went through great affliction. He didn't do one thing to bring that trouble on himself, but it came all the same because David was God's servant and the people that hated him really hated God. All right. And sometimes the affliction that you and I face when our world turns upside down doesn't have a thing in the world to do with anything that we did. Sometimes people are just ugly. Y'all know that. Sometimes people are just mean. There are people out there that can't be happy unless they've got something to be upset about. And you probably know people like that, right? They're out there. And they look to cause trouble. Some people, and, and a lot of times people say, oh, I don't like drama, y'all. That's like a red flag, right? Some people don't just like drama. They like to throw it up in the air like money and wallow in it when it falls down on them. Because they can't be happy unless they've got something to be dramatic over. And you may be afflicted in those types of circumstances. Just like David was afflicted in times when he was innocent. But there were other times when David was afflicted for the wrong reasons, yes. Sometimes David brought hard times, affliction, on top of himself. His episode with Bathsheba is just one example. So the question is still, what, what do you do? But especially, what do you do if you bring affliction on yourself? if the affliction you face is the consequences of your own sin. Well, let's start with what you shouldn't do, because Psalm 4 speaks to that as well. Look look at verse 2 again. David asks, How long, exalted ones, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Stop there. Who are these exalted ones? That's just a term that, this is the CSB translation, Your translation might say something like sons of men or son of man, right? What David is doing here is he's addressing people. He may be addressing his enemies. It doesn't really matter. He's talking to people in general here. And he begins by asking how long they're going to insult him. But then he moves on to what really applies to us here. How long will they love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Now, what's he talking about here? Again, we don't exactly know, but something is revealed here about our propensity as human beings. Something's revealed about the patterns that we follow when affliction comes. David asks first about his honor, but then how long they will love the worthless and pursue lies. What verse 2 reveals is that when affliction comes, like I said earlier, we are tempted, y'all. I talked about the blame game and the pity party, but when affliction comes, we are tempted to attack other people and lash out. Part of this is just our nature because when we're hurt, we're dangerous. I think I've told you all before about going with my grandfather. That he was looking at trading for a horse. and when you, when you grow up with a horse trader, that's a whole different world. But nevertheless, a uh, wonderful man. But I remember going to, uh, to, to trade horses with him, and, and I remember this guy that had the horse, he had a dog, and the dog was just the nicest old dog in the world, I don't know what it was. But I was petting the dog, and i if y'all know me, I love dogs, right, love them. So I was petting this dog, and the guy comes over, and he's missing a finger. And I was a little kid, you know, little kids don't think about it, and they say, "Uh, Kevin, I'm sure he said, what happened to your finger? You know, that kind of thing, or Todd, right? And I said, what happened to your finger? He said, well, that dog bit it off. And I was like, mid-stroke, and I'm like, I don't know about petting this dog anymore. But then he explained, he said that the dog had actually been hit by a car on the road that he lived on, and he went to get the dog out of the road, and this dog that was so loving and loyal and kind just lashed out and bit his finger off. Is it because the dog is vicious? No. Because the dog was hurt. And just like an animal, we have that tendency within us. When we're hurt, we lash out, and we can be tempted to attack other people. And not only that, as verse 2 talks about, we can be tempted to follow what's worthless. Y'all, I talked about it before. The world is quick to offer you solutions to affliction, especially when you're the cause of your affliction. Also, we're tempted to pursue lies or propagate them, especially when the affliction we face is our own sinfulness. We, We like to double down, don't we? We're tempted to defend our sin instead of repenting. And that's for lots of different reasons. Most of the time it's just good old-fashioned pride. We don't want to admit when we've messed up, or maybe it involves people that we don't like very much and we want them to suffer. And then you loop back to number one and you get in this cycle. That, that's how life works. But David asked the question, how long are you going to do this? In other words, he's saying, don't do this. So when affliction comes our way, either by our own decisions or not, don't follow the world's remedies now that's what you shouldn't do what should you do like verse one listen to verses three and following they say this it says know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself the Lord will hear when I call to him be angry and do not sin reflect in your heart while on your bed and be silent offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord This is what you're supposed to do when the world turns upside down around you. If you're facing affliction because of sin in your life, verse 3, know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. Stop sinning. If you're in a mess because of sin, repent and turn from that. And not only should you repent, pray and ask for God's help to repent. He's the one that works repentance in our hearts. So if you're facing affliction because of something you've done, turn to him. Verse 3 applies to every single one of us. If you know Jesus Christ but you're caught in sin, turn to Christ. Repent. Turn around and go the other way and ask him to help you. But even if you don't know Jesus, turn to Christ. Ask him to save you. Then turn from your sin. And he'll help you. It's the same principle, you see. But in doing so, the rest of what we read is true also. Like, for instance, there's some very helpful things that are included here. Verse 4 says, be angry and do not sin. This says, be angry. Face the emotions that come your way when the world turns upside down. But don't sin. Instead, we're told to reflect in your heart while on your bed and to be silent. This is the same concept of being still. And knowing that the Lord is God. Y'all, it is possible to be angry and to not sin. One of the things that I run into when I counsel folks is there's people that are angry and they feel guilty about being angry. And my response is, do you really think the Lord would have you be okay about these things done to you? Now, you don't get to be angry at people <laughs> that you've sinned against that are upset about you sinning against it. But if you're the one that's afflicted by somebody else, you're not supposed to feel nice about these things. You can be angry and not sin. David is a prime example of this because y'all, when David slew Goliath, it was anger. Anger is a God-given and created emotion and sometimes anger is the only thing that will do. But David had righteous anger and that's what we're told to have. And if you read between the lines here, we're told that we should face the emotions. Of affliction, but not sin in facing them. You know, we're really good at putting on a front, we're really good at pretending that uh, pretending as though things haven't happened, but it will eat you alive. Deal with it, face that emotion, but at the same time, turn to the Lord and dwell on Him. Verse 5 is also very helpful in what we're to do. Verse 5 says, Offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. Now the sacrifice thing, let me just deal with that. It doesn't mean animal sacrifices on some altar in your backyard. It means serving the Lord with joy. What do you do when the world turns upside down? I'll tell you the worst thing you can do is lock yourself away and stew on the source of your affliction. We're told here instead to focus on the Lord and to serve Him, to trust in Him. Y'all, I shouldn't have to tell you this. There's a lot of wisdom in that old saying, Idle hands are the devil's workshop. If your world feels as though it's turned upside down, the worst thing you can do is just lock yourself away and baste in your own juices of of anger and hurt and heartache. That's what the devil wants you to do because the devil wants you to feel as though you're entitled to hurt whoever you want to hurt and convict whoever you want to convict in your heart. Instead, the Lord calls us to himself. Now realize, I'm I'm not saying your affliction isn't horrible. I'm not saying that your world isn't upside down. Y'all, the fact of the matter is this. When the world turns upside down, nothing seems right. But more importantly than me saying that, God realizes this as well. That's why if you're hearing all this and you say, well, yeah, that's really easy for you to say. Consider what the psalmist says next. Because, y'all, he nails it. Verse 4, or excuse me, verse 6a, the psalmist says, many are asking, who can show us anything good? You ever been afflicted to that point where something happens and it's just so terrible or it's so unthinkable or, or you find yourself at a position in life that you never thought you'd be at and you just say, is there anything even good anymore? Nothing's like it used to be. Who can show us anything good? But you see, the Lord in understanding us, in knowing us, when he calls us to himself, when he says to trust in him, when he says to hide under his shadow, to seek him as a refuge, he knows exactly what he's saying because the remedy to this is the next part of the verse. When David concludes, let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. The ultimate answer to what to do when the world turns upside down. What do you do? My friends, you're to turn to Christ. Turn to Christ because there's not a single temptation you have had that he doesn't understand. We find that in Hebrews. He's tempted in every way but didn't sin. There's not a single emotion that we have that he didn't have either. There's not a single bit of affliction we have that he can't understand But also turn to Christ because as we learn in Ephesians 3.20, he's the one that is able to do us exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. This is the God we serve. He's the God of redemption. He can change any situation at any time. But do you trust in him? Will you turn to him or will you do what the world wants you to do that you know doesn't work? Will you trust in him? It is my sincerest prayer that you will. Because it is when you trust in the Lord. Through his work in your heart that you too can say what David said. And with this we end. With him saying you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone Lord make me live in safety. David's world was upside down, but he ended with peaceful sleep. Not because of his power, not because of the situation he faced, but because of the God that he served and loved, that God that loved him. That's pray. Our God and our Father, it is my prayer that everyone would know that the love that you exhibited for David, you have for them as well. If They would only turn to you and trust in you. If there is sin, please bring repentance. If there is simple affliction at the hands of another or circumstances, please bring relief. Vindicate us not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ who is our righteousness. Let us trust in him again and again. And if there are any that have not, that know that they don't know Jesus, work in their hearts right now and draw them to yourself and I pray it in Christ's name amen as I just lifted up if you know that you don't know the Lord see me after because we need to talk place your trust in him and you'll never be disappointed let's now stand together as we close by singing that great hymn all the way my savior leads me hymn number 365 receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.